I've had a great time. God has really blessed me through all of the ministers and through everything. It's refreshed me. One of the reasons I like these conferences so much is because it's not just me ministering. I'm sitting there listening and getting ministered to. And I love it. And it has really, really blessed me. And I believe that everybody's going to have something to take home. I've got a bunch of stuff I was going to share. I've still got about six pages. And uh, I've got 43 minutes. And so... Might as well throw those. I don't ever use notes anyway. But I had things that I thought would be just awesome about telling you about the presence of the Lord. You know, I've basically shared the majority of what I want to share. I just want to give you some practical things this morning about how to walk this out. Uh, last night I was sharing about meditation and man, I could go on it for a couple of hours just talking about meditation, but hopefully you've got the principles of all of that. Um, let me turn over here to Ephesians chapter five. Lawson was in Ephesians, but in Ephesians chapter five, and um, in verse 18, it says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit and verse 19 says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talking about a husband and wives and that relationship. But right here, this is important. He gives us a command to be filled with the Spirit. And those of you who are familiar with my ministry, this is one of the things that, that I emphasize a lot is about the power of the Holy Spirit that you are not going to effectively do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. We in ourselves are not able to live the Christian life. The Christian life isn't just difficult to live, it's impossible to live. It really is. It's impossible to turn the other cheek just in your own human ability. It's impossible to love your enemies. It's impossible to do all of the things that we're talking about in just your human self. And so one of the things that I emphasize a lot is that you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And uh, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it changed me. I mean, it was just like daylight and dark. Now it's a progressive thing and I've grown in it and I learn more and more how to yield to the Lord all of the time. But I'm telling you that when the power of the Holy Spirit entered my life, there was a change in me. I was an introvert before and I mean, God just has totally changed that. There was a lot of things in me that are totally, totally different. And as Lawson was talking about, when you find your identity in Christ and then the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you, you become a different person. You know, I've heard it phrased this way that the Christian life isn't a changed life, it's an exchanged life. And that's a great way of saying it. That if you really understand things properly, it's not just you trying to be more and more like Jesus. God gave you a new life. You are a totally brand new person on the inside. And the Christian life is more accurately described as you just learning more and more how to release the real you on the inside. You're already changed on the inside. You're already full of faith. You're already full of power. You've already got perfect wisdom and everything. It's not a matter of you trying to change and become more like that. You're already like God in your spirit and you're just in the process of renewing your mind 
and submitting to who you really are. You need to change your identity and find out who you are. And the Holy Spirit, this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to transform you, to give you revelation. Man, I could turn over and read you a lot of scriptures. There are five times in uh, John chapter 14, 15, and 16, the very night before Jesus was crucified, that he talked about the comforter coming. And in John 14, 26, he says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and lead you, I mean, uh, teach you all things, lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've spoken unto you. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus, to teach you, to draw these things out. So this is what this is talking about, that it's a command not to get drunk just as much as it's a command not to be drunk. It is a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this isn't just a one-time thing where you come down and receive the Holy Spirit and you speak in tongues and then you never give any uh, acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit afterwards. This is talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit on a continual basis. I remember being at one of Catherine Kuhlman's meetings and I don't know how many of you ever got the privilege of going to one, but you know, she would have all of the ministers sit on the platform. And so there must've been 50 ministers sitting on the platform over there. And it was a full gospel businessmen's uh, deal. And I don't know how many of you were associated with full gospel businessmen. It was a powerful move of God. There was a lot of good things, but they were really big into exalting people. And they would talk about, you know, this person and stuff. And they would have 20 people get up and talk before the main speaker got up. And uh, anyway, these people were all getting up and talking about, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit 20 years ago. I spoke in tongues 40 years ago. I experienced God. And they were talking about all of these things and bragging on themselves. And Catherine Kuhlman was up talking about being filled with the Spirit. And she took this very verse and says, it talks about that you are supposed to continually be filled with the Spirit. And then she turned over to all of these ministers and she said, you were filled with the Holy Spirit 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and you hadn't been full of the Holy Spirit a single day since. <laughs> You remember that? I mean, uh, it was something else. That woman was stronger than garlic. And anyway, it's true that a lot of people receive the Holy Spirit and have an experience, but they don't continually walk in it. You've got to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit, I could give you many scriptures on this, but I'll just summarize it. The Holy Spirit is sent to glorify Jesus. He doesn't speak of himself. His whole ministry is to glorify Jesus, to reveal Jesus, to reveal who Jesus is in you, who you are in Jesus. It's all about glorifying Jesus. And the scripture says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit whereby you are sealed. With the, I mean, don't grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. And one of the things that grieves the Holy Spirit and shuts down his ministry in your life is when you're all full of yourself. Yes. Amen. You've got to glorify the Lord. The moment that you start, just Father, thank you that you are the source of every good thing that's ever happened in my life. Father, it's not me, it's you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you have done all of these things. And the moment you start trying to glorify Jesus, 
Holy Spirit shows up and I guarantee you, he will start his ministry in your life. So one of the ways that you stay full of the Holy Spirit is to just be full of thanksgiving. And this is the reason that it goes on to say, it says, be filled with the Spirit. And then it says, speaking to yourselves in Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a reason that these things are put together. If you're gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the ways that you get full, full of the Holy Spirit is to just begin to start uh, giving thanks unto God, singing unto God, worshiping God in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and glorifying God. You know, I could go into many things right here. And again, because of time's sake, I'm just gonna say some of these things, summarize it, you go study it out on your own. But there are examples in scripture that when people would start worshiping the Lord, that the anointing of God would manifest, that evil spirits would leave and go and that the power of God would manifest. So one of the ways that you get filled with the spirit who is sent to keep you in the presence of God and to keep you dwelling in the things of God, one of the ways you do that is just by beginning to worship the Lord. And I'm talking about true worship. You know, Daniel, I think mentioned this week or somebody mentioned this week about how that a lot of praise and worship music, a lot of Christian music isn't good music. Uh, I call it uh, Christian country and Western. You know, country and Western is just all singing about you lose everything, you gripe and you complain, you're moaning and groaning and, and all of this stuff. And there's a lot of Christian, quote unquote, Christian music that is nothing but griping and complaining. And you may like the beat, you may like, I don't know, the style of music or whatever. And people say, it really doesn't matter about the style of music. It does. I'm not gonna sit here and tell you my preferences and stuff, but there are some, there's some music that people listen to that it just gets you wound up like a clock. You couldn't go to sleep to that music. I mean, it just keeps you stirred up and, and, uh, Anyway, I'm not going to get here and preach on that, but I am saying that the words are important and so much Christian music is griping and complaining and talking about how bad everything is and that doesn't build you up and edify you. You know, Daniel just does a great job on this. He's got a revelation of the new covenant worship versus old covenant worship. Like one of the songs that kind of typifies this, you know, there was a song that we used to sing about, I got to go past the outer court and past the brazen altar and into the Holy of Holies. And they were singing about, oh Lord, take me past all of these things. And the whole point of that song is we've got to press in and try and get into the things of God. That was an Old Testament mentality. But in the New Testament, you start in the Holy of Holies. You dwell in Christ. And we don't sing songs about, oh God, release your power and oh God, pour. See, the moment you do that, and I guarantee you, there's a lot of people in here that sing songs about trying to get God to do something. By singing and using those things, you are actually starting from an Old Testament position. You aren't in Christ. You have started from a position of unbelief and it's depressing and it's discouraging. But man, I tell you, the moment you just start praising God for Father, thank you that I'm already there, that I've already got it, 
thank you that you have already blessed me. And somebody says, but I'm not blessed. I can show you my bills. See, you're only looking in the physical realm. But when you truly worship God, you have to worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, John 4, 24. And in the spirit, you are there. You've already got the fullness of the Godhead in you. You've already got love, joy, and peace. All of the things that you're desiring instead of whining and complaining about how hard it is and asking God to pour out his spirit, it's so much greater to just start from the spirit Worship him in spirit. Father, thank you that I've got everything I need. It's already done. So anyway, I could spend a lot of time on that, but there is a difference in uh, a lot of Christian music. It's discouraging. You know, I drive in, it takes me an hour to go from my house down into Colorado Springs. And so I listen to tapes and CDs and a lot of different things. And anyway, I'll, I'll sometimes listen to Christian music and I bet you nine out of 10 times, if I turn it on a Christian radio station, I just get mad. I can't <laughs> listen to that stuff because it is denying what Jesus has already done. And who cares if it has a catchy tune? You know, music is a powerful, powerful, powerful medium. You can take a tune that just strikes a chord with you and you get to singing that over and over. And what you're doing, you're meditating in that. And if you meditate in the wrong thing, it will do damage to you instead of helping you. And I'll listen to some of this music and I have actually turned it over to a secular station and listened to something that is just totally ungodly because it's clearly ungodly. I don't, I, I can't be deceived by it. I'd rather just listen to somebody sing something ungodly than to talk about God and wrap it in Christian stuff and then just still be griping and complaining and moaning about stuff. So anyway, there's no way that I can sit here and critique all music and tell you everything I, you know, I believe that is important to tell you, but I, I would encourage that you get like Dave Hinton's music, that you get uh, Charlie and Jill's music, you get CBC's music. I can vouch for all of those. All of those people are based on the word. You know, many of you this week, have been really blessed by the music and you've enjoyed it. And you may not sit down and even discern why you like it, but I can guarantee you one of the things about all of this music is it is praising God for what he's already done through Jesus. It's talking about the victory that we already have. It's uplifting. Whereas so much Christian music is actually sad about the things that we're missing and begging God for this and you know, one of the songs I pick on a lot is an old kind of a country song about, Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. Lord, you know, if you're looking below, it's worse now than then. How dumb can you get and still breathe? What stupid, stupid theology. Lord, you know, if you're looking below. Somebody said, well, it's just poetic. And you know, it's just pathetic is what it is. Every time you say something, you are writing on your heart. And not only what you say, but what other people say. And for you to be sitting there and singing stuff about, Lord, you know, if you're looking below, it's worse now than then. One day at a time, sweet Jesus, that's all I'm asking of you. Lord, I'm only human. I'm just a man. That's a lie. I am not only human. One third of me is wall to wall, Holy Ghost. I'm a brand new person. 
And for you to face your problems and to face your day from just a human ability, see, you aren't filled with the spirit. You aren't living out of the born again you. You are living out of the old carnal you. And there is no victory in that. You need to be in the spirit. You need to be constantly recognizing, like Lawson was saying today, that man, we are changed, that we are a brand new person. There ought to be, I'm saying this in a good way, but there ought to be a Christian swagger to you, amen. (laughs) That man, I don't care what Satan throws at me. What I've got is bigger than that. I don't care about cancer or AIDS or anything else. What I've got is bigger than any name and you need to have this attitude. And yet so much of quote unquote Christian music is just wailing about all of the problems that we have. And oh Jesus, I'm so hurt and discouraged. Would you please touch me? And that stuff will kill you. It'll make you just humanly minded. It doesn't remind you of who you are. So anyway, you need to be filled with the spirit. And one of the ways to do it is to use godly Christian music that reminds you of who you are. You know, Charlie and Jill have some awesome worship music. I'm partial to worship. And again, I'm not going to just transpose and say, everybody's got to be the way I am. There's a place for just getting all fired up and singing songs about victory in Jesus and things like that. But I tell you, I just am partial to just worshiping the Lord and thanking him for who he is. And they've got some songs like that song about, I love you, Lord. I have sung that a hundred times in a day. I'll put my little phone on repeat and just go over and over that about my favorite place to be is to worship at your feet and things like this. Man, you take those and you just meditate on that and love God. It does something for you. You know, you could probably relate to this that if you have children and if your children come to you, dad, I need this. And it's just, you know, you never give me anything and I want this and I'm really desperate and stuff. That doesn't do near as much for you as when they come and say, man, you're awesome. I love you. You're such a good dad. And you know that the next, you know, the next shoe's about to drop, that they, <laughs> they want something, but you just can't resist it. Our granddaughter's kind of like that, man. She comes in and it's just, yep, that's what a grandparent's for is to spoil you. And uh, they come in and if they start just saying nice things about you, I guarantee you it does something to you. And I believe that God's like that. It says that God inhabits the praises of his people in uh, Psalms chapter 22, verse three. And God loves our praises. I read that verse out of Zephaniah three seventeen that he rests in his love. He rejoices over us. He dances violently, twirls over us. God loves us. God loves to have us say thank you. You could turn over to, I think, where is it? The 15th or 16th chapter of Luke where he healed the um, 10 lepers and only one turned back to thank him. And he said, weren't there 10 cleansed? He says, is there only one that came back to give thanks? And this person is a Samaritan, a Gentile, a person that wasn't even a part of the Jewish nation. And he told that man, he said, because you came back and thanked me, he says, you've been made whole. All of them were healed, but only one was made whole. 
That means he was restored. He had leprosy. And if he had lost parts of his body or skin was destroyed, he was made holy. Others were healed, but he was made whole. When you start praising God, Colossians chapter two, verse um, seven, I believe it is. Let me just turn over here and read that since I'm real close. Colossians chapter two, in verse six, it says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walking in him. And verse seven says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Abounding therein. What is the therein referring to? It's talking about the faith, established in the faith. And then you abound therein. You abound in faith with thanksgiving. When you begin to start worshiping and thanking God, it makes your faith abound. It touches the heart of God. You know, I've got a whole teaching on this and I hadn't got time to teach it right now. It's, it's frustrating. But I've got a whole teaching about ministering unto God. And most people think, oh, ministering unto God, what does God need? God is love. And anybody who loves has a desire for that love to be returned. And I guarantee you, God is passionate about us. God wants to just, he wants your affection. He wants your love. He wants your appreciation. And I know that a lot of people think, oh no, God couldn't feel that way about me. But that's exactly how he feels. God, God longs for you just to say thanks. And I promise you that when you do that, it touches the heart of God and it causes the love of God to start flowing in your life. And it does something for you. It changes you. So for me, one of the ways that I dwell in the presence of the Lord, I spend a lot of time just worshiping the Lord, just thanking him. My prayer life, and I know I heard Lawson one time say he brings in other people to teach on prayer because I don't believe in prayer is what he said. <laughs> it was a little exaggeration, but I don't, I don't spend very much time asking God, fighting doing spiritual warfare for anything. Man, I'd say that 90 to 95% of my prayer life is just thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all you've done. And I just worship him. And that's what my prayer life is primarily. Now there is a place when Satan is on your case to take your authority and rebuke the devil and speak and to do things. And I'm not saying that I don't ever do those things, but I'm saying I've just gotten to where I just love God and worship God. And I found out that by doing that, it solves a multitude of problems. For instance, the scripture says, I think it's Proverbs 17, 22, that a merry heart does good like a medicine. Did you know that if you were to just worship the Lord and love him and feel his love back and dwell in the presence of God, Psalms chapter 16, verse 11, in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. If you aren't feeling fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, it's because you aren't dwelling in his presence. But when you get in his presence, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. It makes your heart rejoice. And guess what? It does good like a medicine. You wouldn't have to spend as much time praying for healing if you just walked in joy and peace and dwelt in all of this. There's a lot of people that spend a lot of time trying to be healed and it's because you aren't in the presence of God. You don't have joy. You've got discouragement. 
medical profession has now come out and said that, you know, uh, depression and stress suppress your immune system and you get more, you're more susceptible to sickness and you deal with things that you wouldn't have to deal with if you just dwelt in the presence of the Lord and constantly were worshiping him and praising him. It would do good like a medicine. Walking in love and peace with other people is really good for you. It'll stop a lot of stress. And so there's all of these things that if you were to just get into the presence of God and go to being filled with the spirit, speaking unto yourselves, worshiping God, thinking about all he's done for you, it would do tremendous good for you. Physically, emotionally, it would change your theology. You know, one of the things that I love about praise is that if you just make a decision, there's so many scriptures, Psalms 30. For one, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. If you were to live like that and bless the Lord at all times, do what Philippians chapter four, verse four says about rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And I could go on and on. There are many scriptures where he commands you. It's a command to worship him and to thank him. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 46 and 47, somewhere right there, it says that because you didn't serve the Lord with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of all things that he's given you, therefore you are going to serve your enemies in want and in lack. In other words, God judged people for not being thankful and praising him and not enjoying what God had given them. Now, praise God on this side of the cross, all of our judgments been placed upon Jesus. He's not gonna judge us, but that didn't change the standard. If it was displeasing to him in the Old Testament that people weren't thankful, it's still displeasing that people aren't thankful today. He's not gonna judge you for it, but it's still the right thing to do. And if you were to just make a decision based on all of these things that I'm gonna bless the Lord at all times, this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And you're just gonna praise God. You don't care what happens, you're gonna praise God. Did you know that for you to fulfill that commitment, it forces you to look at the positive side of things. It forces you to get your attention upon God. It forces you to turn away from all of the negative stuff. You know, these conservative talk shows that are on the radio, I think that there's a place for it because we've got a liberal media that distorts things. You don't hear the truth. And so I agree that there's a place for it, but man, I can't take it in very big doses because it is just negative, 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 negative. They come out and share the worst side of everything. You know, Rush Limbaugh, I heard him one time when this, this was a previous Supreme Court decision that ruled in favor of Hobby Lobby and those people, you know, that sued uh, against the Obamacare mandate and stuff. And the Supreme Court ruled in favor five to four of Hobby Lobby and supported religious organizations that they could opt out of these mandatory birth control uh, deals. And anyway, it was a victory. Well, you know, Rush's, Rush Limbaugh's take on it. He says, this is actually a defeat. And he just started talking about why were there even four people that were against this? And he emphasized all of the negative and how close our 
country is getting to all of this. And he talked about that it will have a backlash and he didn't find one good thing out of it. Now I admit that there were things that weren't good. I mean, it is bad that four out of five even voted against the thing, but nonetheless, you see the ungodly, they will celebrate. It doesn't matter if they win by a five to four vote in their mind, they celebrate. They don't accentuate the negative. They just sit there, man, the whole nation's changed. Everything's going our way. The conservatives will sit there and still focus on, they will find something negative. Man, if they hung you, they're gonna, they'll miss the fact that it was a brand new rope, man. It was just awesome. But you can get to where if you just say that I'm going to praise God, I'm going to live in, in praise and I'm going to praise God, then even though, you know, this latest Supreme Court thing, man, I just refuse to sit there and be bummed out over it. You know, I think it's bad. I've made comment on it. We've wrote some things. We've done what I think is necessary. But you know what? The United States government is not where my joy and peace comes from. And my salvation is in Jesus. And I'm going to praise Jesus. And I refuse to be defeated and discouraged. I don't care what goes on. If they put me in the stocks, I'm going to sing songs at midnight. And I'm going to praise God. And I've just made that decision. And by doing that, it makes me turn away from the negative. There is plenty of negative out there in case you hadn't noticed. You know, I saw a bumper sticker that says, if you aren't depressed, you aren't paying attention. <laughs> and did you know, if all you do is look at things in the natural, that is an absolutely true statement. There's enough bad going on that anybody in the natural should be depressed. But if you look on what God is doing, and like Barbara was saying today, that man, it's exciting to see Bible prophecy being fulfilled and to see all of these things. We're getting close to the end. And if you look at it properly, you can find something to rejoice at in any situation. You know, you could ask Jamie that when we got the report about our son being dead, we had to get dressed and drive into Colorado Springs. And during that period of time, I began to experience depression, and discouragement and fear and grief and sorrow and anything that anybody would if you had heard that your son was dead. But I just don't like that. And I have made a decision that I'm gonna bless the Lord at all times. And you can ask Jamie that as we were driving in, as we were going kind of along here, I just began to start praising God. And I started saying, Father, you're a good God. You did not kill my son. I don't care if he comes back to life or not. I am going to rejoice. I am going to serve you. And I just started worshiping God. I didn't feel like worshiping God, but I've made a decision. Then I'm going to be filled with the spirit. I'm going to speak to myself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And I just started praising God. And when I did, it's just like somebody flipped a switch on the inside of me. And all of a sudden my mind changed from the negative circumstances over to the positive. And I could spend a lot of time on this, but I had some supernatural prophecies came to me about Jonathan Peter. I mean, supernatural things where people didn't even know me. They'd never see me. And they said, you've got two boys. I mean, that's God, because there's no way they could tell how many children I had. You've got two boys and the younger's turning to the Lord before the older one. And they prophesied things over Jonathan Peter that hadn't happened yet. And all of a sudden, my lightning fast mind put these things together, thinking that if that was really God and this, he said this, 
Well, then it hadn't come to pass. He's got to live. And man, I started rejoicing and thanking God. And you know what the key to all of that was? Just determine that I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. I don't care if it's over the death of a son. I don't care if what it is. I'm going to bless the Lord. This is one of the ways that you dwell in the secret place of the most high is just to be filled with the spirit. Let him glorify Jesus. Speak unto yourselves in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. And it says giving thanks, being thankful. Thankfulness does a lot of things. For one thing, it forces you to look at the positive as I was just describing, but it also humbles you because in a sense you're saying, God, it's not my might, it's not my power, it's not my ability who's doing this. I acknowledge you as the source. It keeps you humble. Over in uh, James chapter four, first Peter chapter five, it says that God gives grace to the humble. Man, grace is where it's at. Grace is all of God's ability, everything that he is, everything that he has. And it's all available on an unearned, undeserved basis. But God resists pride. Pride could be defined in a lot of ways. We basically define it as arrogance, but pride could just be self-sufficiency. You trying to deal with things by yourself. For instance, in that same context over in 1 Peter chapter 5, it talks about humble yourself and then it says, uh, casting all of your care upon the Lord for he cares for you. Did you know if you are worried about stuff and taking care, it's an indication that you aren't humble. You haven't submitted to God. You feel the responsibility to get it done. You haven't cast your care over upon the Lord. And so when you just start thanking God, it means that you're humbling yourself. Father, thank you for what you've done. I haven't done this. You've done it. I acknowledge you as my source. And the moment you begin to humble yourself, grace begins to manifest in your life. God's ability and power. And it takes care of this worry and stuff. You know, I use these examples before, but we got so much, um, you know, staring us in the face. I need 53 million to complete this building in the parking garage. And that's just the beginning of things and stuff. And I honestly have no care about it. I have no care. I sleep good at night. It doesn't bother me. And if we have to stop and do something, it's no big deal. We'll get it done. And I just honestly don't have any care. And one of the reasons is because I've acknowledged God is the one who's brought us this far. I didn't bring us this far. I didn't have these 32 million, $42 million that we've spent. I didn't do any of this stuff. God did it. It's his problem. I've got a little cartoon that shows a guy sitting up in bed and he's just, you could, his eyes are huge, they're bloodshot. And you can tell he's got insomnia and he's just sitting there. And instead of one of these little things coming out where it shows his thoughts or his words, it's coming down from heaven and it's God speaking. And he says, my son, go on to sleep. I'm going to be up all night anyway. <laughs> and I just like that. And that's the way I feel about it. You know, Paul, we're facing some really, really, really big things coming up. And it turns out that a number of my staff are taking vacations right after the Summer Family Bible Conference. We've all been busy. And Paul, last year, Paul and Patsy canceled their wedding anniversary cruise that they had planned for a long time to stay here and help us get things on track. Well, next week, they're planning on going on vacation. And when he found out that these other people are on vacation, well, we could cancel. I could stay here. And I told him, I said, Paul, you canceled last year. You guys are going on vacation. You are 
going to go. And I said, if the thing falls apart while you're gone for eight days, let it fall apart. He says, if it falls apart, I'm not coming back. (laughs) But you know what? I just, I mean, God uses us. Paul is important to what we're doing, but no person is indispensable. I'm not indispensable. You know, the Lord was speaking to me about just about a year and a half ago about a major decision, one of the biggest decisions I've ever done. And I really knew it needed to be done, but it was going to hurt a person. And I, I'm a real relational guy and I'll, I'll, uh, do things even to my own hurt rather than trying to hurt somebody else. And it was, it was hard on me. And I was struggling with this about God. I know I need to do this, but and anyway, it was just a long story. But anyway, I was praying about it and I was saying, Lord, uh, this person is so important. They've been such a blessing and everything else. And he said, nobody's indispensable. And I said, I know that. And he says, you aren't indispensable. He says, if you won't do what I tell you to do, I'll get somebody else to do it. And I said, I can do it. <laughs> My attitude changed immediately, amen. But anyway, I'm just saying that, you know, you have, when you face things like this, you have to cast your care over on the Lord, humble yourself. And that's when the grace of God manifests in your life. He gives grace to the humble. And one of the ways that you humble yourself is just to be thankful. Just acknowledge that every good thing, every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights in whom is no variableness, neither the shadow of turning. Every good thing. And most of us don't really acknowledge this. We think that, man, it's our own wisdom that has done all of this. It's not. It's not. I tell you, without God's blessing on your life, all God would have had to have done is just mix the chemicals in your brain just a little bit. And man, you could lick the stamps off the drool that's coming off your chin. You didn't give yourself your wisdom and your ability. You can sit here and develop it and stuff, but you know what? God's the one that made you to have the ability to think right. He's the one that gave you your health. God's one that's responsible. God's one that brought the sun up this morning. God's one that makes things work. You need to just acknowledge that without God, you are nothing. Now, praise God, I'm never without God, so I don't have an unworthy, condemned attitude, but without him, I'm nothing. And being thankful and just thanking him. There's not a day that goes by. There's never a time that I come into this place that I don't just thank God and think, look what you have done. I don't ever look at this and think, look what I have done. Man, I can't do this. It's God. Many of you have heard me say this, but right before my mother died, I was telling her about all of the stuff that's happening. She, she wanted me to tell her she was so blessed, but then she thought, well, I might be getting in pride. And she said, Andy, you know, this is God. And I said, yes, ma'am, I know this is God. And then she says, you aren't smart enough to do this. And I agreed. Nothing like your mother to put you in place. <laughs> right, Phyllis? <laughs> But uh, I tell you what, it's absolutely true. I'm not smart enough to do this. We just had a business summit. I listened to Paul talk about all of the things that are happening. Man, I'm not smart enough to do what's going on in this ministry. We got 500 employees. I can hardly control my own house. 
God has just brought me people. And you know what? It's, it's a, it's a safe place to be. I don't, because since I don't take credit for it, then I don't have to worry about it, making it work. I don't have to stay up and figure out how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? You know, God just makes you look good. So all of this is part of just dwelling in his presence. You need to let the Holy Spirit take over. You need to just cast your care over on him. Humble him. Thank, give thanks to God. Acknowledge that he's the one that's done everything. And don't let things, don't let pressure come on you. I just refuse pressure. I am not going to live under pressure. I'm going to cast all my care over on the Lord. And God knew who I was and he knew my weaknesses and my problems when he called me. And he still called me. So you know what? It's going to work out. Amen. I don't care how big this ministry gets. I don't care where we go or what we do. It's all going to work out. And if I stumble and make mistakes, God is not going to fall off his throne. Amen. He will still be with me and I'll be able to recover and we will get done. And it just is a great way to live when you're casting your care over on the Lord and worshiping him. And I encourage you to do it. Man, I pray that this week God has really spoken to you and has done some uh, significant things and that you're going to leave here stronger in the Lord because of it. Amen. Let me... Uh, I'm through. I just want to read one thing to you that I got from uh, the National Prayer Caucus. I'm a part of that in uh, Congress. And they're uh, quoting Robert Charles Winthrop, a congressman from Massachusetts, Massachusetts, however you say that, and one time speaker of the United States of the House of Representatives. And he spoke this to the Bible Society. It says, all societies of men must be governed in some way or other. The less they may have of stringent state government, the more they must have of individual self-government. The less they rely on public law or physical force, the more they must rely on private moral restraint. Men, in a word, must necessarily be controlled either by a power within them or by a power without them, either by the word of God or by the strong arm of man either by the Bible or by the bayonet. It may, do for, uh, it may do for other countries and other governments to talk about the state supporting religion. Here under our own free institutions, it is religion which must support the state. I thought that was pretty good. Amen. And you know, the more and more and more we've gotten away from God, the more and more and more government is taking control and forcing us to do things. And this is just an absolute axiom that is true. And man, we need to be self-governed. John Adams, the first vice president, second president of the United States said that democracy is totally unsuited for anybody but a religious and moral people. If America ever ceases to be moral, democracy will destroy us. And this is what we see happening today. 
America has ceased to be moral. It is getting increasingly more immoral. And as a result, we are voting in people, putting people on the bench and doing things that are just reflecting the moral decay. So the answer isn't more legislation and to do this. The answer is to have a return to God. And if people return to God, they will start voting in godly people who will reflect that instead of these ungodly things. Amen. So let's take a break. We're going to have, what, a 20-minute break? Or I'll let...